1: History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak his truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll, with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen, let's roll.
2: Merry Christmas, Biblical Citizens. Brian and I hope you are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ with joy. Why is Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? Well, there are many reasons, but of course they can all be summed up in one word, Jesus. It's hard to even begin to do justice to the real significance of Jesus coming into the world. The temptation nowadays is to commercialize Christmas or to trivialize it. No, the incarnation of Christ is the most significant event in all of history, surpassed only by the even greater event of the resurrection. To help us really realize the significance of Christmas today, we're going to consider the question, what if Jesus had never been
3: born? You know, we all love the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. Many people play that every Christmas season with Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. The premise of the story, as most of us know, is that George Bailey, the star, he's shown through supernatural means what the world would have been like had he never been born. The pharmacist that he saved from poisoning would have died. His wife would have become a lonely old maid. The tyrannical miser of the town, Mr. Potter, the banker, would have taken over all of Bedford Falls, renamed it Pottersville, and turned it into a proliferation of gambling halls and bars instead of lively shops and family homes, had George Bailey not been there doing the good that he did.
2: So there's a book by D. James Kennedy that is actually entitled, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? It's an excellent book and we highly recommend it. Some of you listeners may remember when we interviewed J. Warner Wallace, the former detective whose life changed when he heard a pastor say Jesus was the smartest person who ever lived. Well, Warner began investigating, and he found that not only was Jesus the smartest person who ever lived, but he was the person who had the most impact on the world who ever lived. And we explored with Mr. Wallace some of the ways that Jesus impacted the arts, literature, and culture But let's look further at just a few of the ways that Jesus massively changed the world.
3: Remember, Jesus said on the cross, I am making all things new. His birth, life, and resurrection did that. He continues to make all things new, leading to the new heavens and new earth at the end of time.
2: One of the most fundamental things he did was change people's attitudes about the very value of life itself. He taught the sanctity of life, that we are made in the image of God. This concept changed so many other things. For much of the history of the world, life was cheap. Wars were constant. Absolute rulers had absolute power, including fathers. They had despotic control over their wives and children. In good order, that babies or children be exposed or set out to die at will.
3: But Christianity stopped or decreased barbaric practices like infanticide, abortion, child sacrifice. Jesus taught that children were precious and a gift of God to be raised and nurtured with care. That was not the case before he came. Ephesians 6.4 talks specifically to fathers. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Christians eventually brought an end to brutal entertainments like public killings, like tens of thousands of gladiators that died fighting to the death, and people literally being fed to lions for entertainment
2: because of Jesus, countless lives have been transformed from being lost souls and liabilities to society into purposeful, joyful, productive assets to society. And out of this transformation of people, so many changes for the better have taken
3: place. Jesus helped people see the dignity of work. That was another thing that wasn't uh, generally assumed. The harder you worked, it was kind of looked down upon. And this led to an elevation of the common man. And Jesus
2: raised the status of women. He always treated women with respect, and he treated them as persons of value, not as inferior beings to be pushed around as was traditional
3: Jesus taught the sanctity of sex, marriage, and the family, which has helped to preserve the human race. He taught husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands and said, let the little children come to me, honoring them in a very public way. And the dignity of work led to free markets and the exchange of goods, which leads to more prosperity
2: This attitude of human dignity eventually led to the abolishment of slavery, the establishment of civil liberties, and government of the people, by the people, and for the people.
3: You know, before Jesus, the widespread practice was contempt for the poor. Widows and orphans typically became destitute and were often sold into slavery, even in Israel, where the leaders professed not to believe in that. But Jesus changed the attitude towards widows, orphans, and the poor. He inspired charity towards others. And where do you think the Samaritan ethic comes from? Christians over the centuries have set up orphanages and safe houses and charities for the poor. Christ taught it as our sacred duty to help those less fortunate than ourselves.
2: Jesus went all around the country healing the sick. The sick used to be seen as burdens and were often left to die or become beggars. There are examples of that in the Bible. Lepers were untouchable and the outcasts of society. Jesus healed lepers and touched the untouchables with love. He made blind men see, lame men walk, and freed people made mentally ill by demons. Christians ever since have had compassion on the sick and have cared for them as a sacred duty. Christians are the ones who have set up hospitals, for instance. An example of a brave Christian lady caring for the sick that I've always admired is Florence Nightingale, who in the 19th century gave up her comfortable upper-class life to go to faraway battlefields to care for wounded soldiers.
3: Do you know also it's been Christians who have spread literacy and education for the masses? Martin Luther taught that common people should be able to read the Bible in their own language, which led to the movement for widespread literacy and education. The Puritans always stressed that people should be able to read the Bible themselves and taught their children to do so against government edicts not to.
2: Kennedy and others argue that we would not have modern science without the Christian worldview that spawned it. Yes, Aristotle in 450 BC started the empirical observation and categorization that were the underpinnings of science, but it did not take hold in a Buddhist culture because why try to improve reality when you believe that the goal is to escape it? Same thing with Islam. The Arabs had the writings of Aristotle all through the Middle Ages, but their fatalistic religion prevented science from flowering in their culture. It wasn't until the Renaissance and the convergence with the Protestant Reformation that science began to flourish, Kennedy argues.
3: Jesus brought about the civilizing of many barbarian and primitive cultures. D. James Kennedy mentions, for example, the Franks of old, the Germanic tribes, the Anglo-Saxons, the Vikings— These tribes were constantly attacking and raiding more productive peoples in a large part of history, and others lived in terror of them because these warriors were fierce, and they would cause cruel destruction upon the people they attacked. They saw monks and monasteries as prey, for instance, before becoming transformed by Christ and his gospel themselves. And then they changed. And what about the codifying and setting to writing of many of the world's languages? And as we mentioned, the greater development of art, architecture, and music, an inspiration for some of our greatest works of art in history. All these are because Jesus has been making all things new, as he said.
2: Jesus came to liberate us and fulfilled the law on our behalf. Without Jesus, we would live in a crueler more unjust world and this isn't even to mention jesus's magnificent greatest gift of all the eternal salvation of countless souls into eternal life and the chance to live with him in heaven and have you ever stopped to think that without jesus we would not know the purpose of life we would be confused or think that life is only to pursue empty f- pleasures or we would seek happiness in things that can never give us happiness That's how I was before I found the answers to my questions about the purpose of life in Jesus. The purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and to learn to love from the great teacher of love, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all the earth.
3: Without Jesus, life on earth, as C.S. Lewis said, would be always winter, but never Christmas. And there wouldn't be any eternal life to look forward to with joy. John 10, verse 10, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly.
2: He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. For three brief years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never raised an army. He never went to college, owned a home, or had a family of his own. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompanied greatness. He had no credentials but himself.
3: He gathered a small group of friends about him and taught them his way of life. He was only 33 when the tide of popular f- feeling turned against him his friends ran away one of them denied him another betrayed him he was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial he was nailed to a cross between two thieves while he was dying his executioners gambled for his garments which was the only property he had on earth when dead he was laid in a borrowed grave through the kindness of a friend
2: and yet 19 centuries have come and gone And today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life.
3: And now we're going to have a musical selection that Kathleen and one of our daughters did several years ago called Come, thou ex- long expected Jesus, and then we're going to have a Christmas story after that.
1: Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from.
2: going to share a story with you now written by Michelle Wallace Campanelli. She learned the meaning of the giving of Christmas gifts when she was seven years old. So the name of it is The Drummer Boy. I couldn't have been more excited she says. The pastor and his wife were coming for dinner. I had a few favorite people in the world. One of them was Pastor Sick. No matter where I saw him He would always open up his big arms and give me a big hug. When my parents told me that he was coming for dinner, I jumped up and down with as much excitement as a seven-year-old could show. Then I realized I didn't have a present for him, and it was a week before Christmas. So kneeling down near the wrapped gifts under the tree, I burrowed around the mountain of presents, hoping my mom or dad had left him one. Nothing was labeled Pastor Schick just as I was getting up, an ornament caught my eye. It was a hand-painted wooden drummer boy about three inches tall. I thought to myself, Pastor Schick's son James had played his drum during church last night while a teenager sang The Little Drummer Boy. The pastor must like that song to have his son play it at Christmas time. Hurrying, I yanked the wooden figure off the tree and grabbed some wrapping paper and ran to my mom's bedroom. Quickly, I covered the ornament with the colorful paper and began encircling the small package with mom's entire roll of cellophane tape. Soon, the pastor and his wife arrived. We sat down at the dining room table, and I began eating meatballs and spaghetti while the adults talked. The meal was so delicious and the conversation so interesting "'that I almost forgot about my gift until dessert. "'Then reaching into my chair, I grabbed my secret surprise. "'Here!' I tossed the mummy-taped gift over the table "'with no introduction. "'Merry Christmas!' "'My parents' faces went pale. "'They had no idea what I had given him. "'The pastor reached for the gift with a smile.
3: "'How sweet of you, Michelle!'
2: "'For several minutes, he tried to unfurl the tape,' Then he turned to my father, saying,
3: "'I think I might need a pair of scissors. Would you have some handy?'
2: My father rose and grabbed a pair from the drawer. With a few cuts and a hard pull, the minister discovered what I had bundled—the wooden drummer boy. It was very small and looked a bit worse from the tape.
3: "'My goodness! This is really something, young lady!'
2: It reminded me of last night when James played the drum, I smiled." I love the little drummer boy song. After we finished our ice cream, the pastor gave me another warm hug, and he and his wife left. I wasn't too sure if he had really liked my gift, but I was still glad that I had remembered him in a special way. The moment Pastor Schick was out the door, my father turned to me and questioned, Why did you give him that old ornament? I thought he'd like it, I sputtered. Next time, ask before you take something off the tree, my father warned. If you wanted to give him an ornament, you should have given him one of these big fancy glass or crystal ones. Oh, now I felt my gift wasn't good enough and my eyes fell to the floor. Sorry. The next Sunday, I was almost too embarrassed to go to church. I thought that my dad was probably right. I should have given him a larger ornament one with fancy colors that glistened or twinkled with lights. After all, Pastor Schick was a very important person. We sat in the first pew as usual, but I couldn't even look up. When it came time for the sermon, I began fidgeting in my seat, kicking my feet. But then the pastor began to speak.
3: I want to tell you all of a wonderful Christmas gift that was given to me this past week. See this little ornament here? It's one that shows that even a seven year old knows the true reason why we give to one another at Christmas time. Out of all the presents I received this year, this one means the most to me, and I'll tell you why. For those who didn't attend the Christmas concert service, my son played his snare drum for the Little Drummer Boy song. Yesterday, my son left to go back to college. Now I will keep this ornament on my desk, reminding me that wherever he is, he is my drummer boy.
2: The congregation clapped!
3: Over the years, I prayed to God that my family would impact your lives and that we'd make beautiful memories together. And now I know that my son's music meant something to a special little girl, as much as it meant to my family. I would like to thank her from the bottom of my heart. She reminded me that it isn't the gift that is most important, but the love that prompted it.
2: After the service, I went up to the pastor and I, re- and I received my big Sunday hug. And he thanked me again for the precious ornament. Those surrounding us realized I was the girl who'd given the drummer boy gift and smiled at me knowingly. After I gave it to you, I was worried if you'd like it. Because it was so small, I finally stammered to the pastor.
3: Well, you're small, and I love you.
2: But it's not fancy. It doesn't have lots of sparkles.
3: Well, Jesus didn't have fancy things when he walked on earth, but I love him very much too.
2: To this day, each Christmas when I hear the little drummer boy, I remember Pastor Sick's family fondly. That ornament was so tiny, but the meaning became larger than life to me. I learned at seven years old that it's not the gifts themselves that are important. It's making someone happy and being willing to show love by sharing that represent the true spirit of giving.
3: I hope you enjoyed that story. We're going to have one more musical number from Kathleen and our daughter called Joy to the World. I want to wish you all... A wonderful, happy, merry Christmas.